Good morning. You know, one thing I, lo- I love about the... I, I miss hymns uh, in, in many respects because I grew up with hymns and so many of them are special to me. But I do like the new worship songs that um, have been introduced in the last 10, 15 years, particularly because hymns are in the third person. And I don't want my worship to be in the third person. I want it to be in the first person. I want to be singing actually unto the Lord. I want the words that express my worship for me to be sung unto the Lord. And if you pay attention, you'll notice that it's, it's adre- it'd be like praying to God in the third person. You know, like instead of praying to God, you would be praying about God. That would be kind of odd. So uh, anyway, I just some of these songs really touch my heart because I just imagine that I have an audience of one with the Lord. It's just Him and me. And what I'm expressing to Him is my adoration, my acknowledgement of who He is, what He's done for me. Uh, that, that's wonderful to me. That's just a, a side. Hey, we're in Acts chapter 9 again. And we're going to begin at, uh, we're going to look at verses 32 through 34, because we left off, in a sense, with verse 31 last Sunday. But I do want us to read verse 31 and verse 32, because they are meant to be taken together. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. I hope you each have a Bible because if you each have a Bible, that will help me. Because you can see what I'm talking about, and I want us to look at some things really up close this morning. I will admit, this chapter, particularly these verses in chapter 9, verses 32 through 34, have been a a, a real wrestling match for me this week. What to make of this? What does this mean to you and me? You know, you can go in and you can pick out a word or an idea and you can spin it any way you want. But that's not legitimate. What is Luke's idea? And with Luke's idea in mind, then what does that mean for you and me? And that's, uh, that's what I've wrestled with this week and that's what I want us to focus on this morning. Let's read verses 32 through 34. Uh, 31, starting at verse 31. Then, or so, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. What version am I reading from? New International Version, okay. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints. Some versions read the Lord, the people of the Lord or the Lord's people. Some read the sacred ones, the holy ones. The saints in Lydda. There he found a man, a man named Aeneas, 
a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years or from the age of eight. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Now this was an incredibly huge miracle. One of the greatest miracles of all time. Aeneas, get up and make your bed. How many parents have tried that? (laughs) Immediately, Aeneas got up. And all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which was translated, or when translated, is Dorcas. Tabitha is Aramaic, Dorcas is Greek. I kind of like the Aramaic better than the Greek. Who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upper stairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes or tunics and other clothing or garments that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. And then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. How do you gauge the importance or significance of something? I mean, our life is, is so full of so many things. So many moments. So many people. So many events. How do you gauge the importance or the significance of something? I just want to remind us that, in, at least from my perspective, I think you will agree that Jesus is a game changer. I mean, if you take Jesus out of your life and you were to live your life without Him and compare it to the life that you've lived with Him, I think you would at least have some perspective, some vantage point from which to gauge what a difference Jesus makes. The difference He makes in the way you look at another person. Now I realize that's a growing experience. Maybe not every person. But I, if, if you're not dead and you're in Christ, surely 
It has changed the way you value people. The way you kind of see the eternal perspective that attaches to each person because you look at them through the eyes of Jesus Christ. I I would even venture to say that some of you have kind of stepped outside your upbringing, your kind of cultural comfort zone because of Jesus to love someone, to kind of, in His strength, care for them. Or because you see them in a different light, you act toward them in a different way. You get the gist. It makes a difference in the way we live our lives. I realize sometimes we go on uh, auto control. We're just tooling along, you know. And then something wakes us up and we turn to Jesus or we become aware of Him or, or we seek to operate in His strength and trust Him. Usually those are difficult and tough times to be sure. But growing and maturing in Christ involves trusting in all the little things of life. Knowing more about Him so it becomes almost second nature. And and the Holy Spirit has a big part in that. He's at work in secret and invisible waves in our lives that we don't often appreciate. He's always nudging. He's always kind of nurturing. But a lot of times, either through neglect or ignorance, or just preoccupation with other things, it's as though that channel is, is on our radio, or on our TV, or iPhone, or, you know, but we're tuned to another. In 1984, I got a call, it was a Friday night, we just had, in fact, the call came at the exact moment that the doorbell rang. I was greeting some friends when Shelley took the call, and they had just walked kind of through the hallway, and as they were walking through, she handed me the phone, and uh, those were not mobile phones back then, (laughs) and it was the pastor of my church. And I took the phone into the baby's room where it was dark, and uh, sat in the rocking chair in kind of the twilight, of the light that was coming in through the window and I talked with him and he told me that uh, he wanted me consider going to a church in South San Francisco. Now I'd already heard about this church because I knew some of the guys that were interns uh, at the church had been preaching there because their pastor had died and they were looking for a new pastor. Shelley and I was, uh, I don't know, 30. And we had just bought a new home. It was not a new home, but it was new to us and refurbished it in a lot of ways. We had a, 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 a two-year-old, as I recall. Uh, I'm a little fuzzy on my dates this morning. And, uh, uh, you know, my immediate reaction was, I don't want to go there, but Lord, I'm going to be open to you. Maybe you're in this. And the only way I'm going to know if you're in this is to walk with you to give you a chance to, to listen to your voice, to look for your leading, to pray, to, to seek the counsel of others, to, to walk through this with you. One of the first things I thought would be an important indicator was my wife's reaction. So I walked into the living room and I said, how would you like to go to South San Francisco? And she said, fine with me. And I knew I was had right there. 
I mean, not even a hint of hesitation. All the way through the process, and it, and it really wasn't very long, I think it was only about a couple of months, we had to, I had to sell my dog and our house. And I know that some of you may, I know it kind of sounds silly, but that was huge for me. I'd spent two years training championship uh, papered uh, golden retriever, pit of, pick of the litter, you know. Just, there are things like that. We would be selling a home that we owned and going to a situation where we had to live with another family in order to go into the pastorate there. The, the age of the, of the group was about 55. There was like five kids in the whole church. There was only about 150 people or that. Uh, it was a run-down church. The, they'd only had one pastor. He'd been there 38 years. He died in the parsonage. We couldn't even live in the parsonage next door because his wife was still living there and she was the principal of a little school that they'd been running. I remember the first day I went, we got there and it had been like an hour and a half drive so I went immediately into the boys' bathroom and there was a piece of copper pipe that was crimped. I mean, that was the... What a mess! They introduced me as Pastor Enema. Not an auspicious beginning. <laughs> but I was, I was interested in God's perspective. And, and when, we, when we had the vote, I, I didn't want to tempt God, but I just I want it to be 100%. And I remember Shelly and I went for a walk, and it gets really windy in that city. And we were walking in the afternoon. It was about 4 o'clock, and uh, it was so windy. And we were holding hands, walking up Main Street, which was called Main Street, wasn't it? Grand Avenue. And uh, we, we were saying, we, I, we really don't want to go. But this, I, this is really important. All the way through, I had this strong sense that there was no reason to say no. No reason that I could stand before God and say no. I mean, legitimately. I think there are sometimes where you can really not say no to God if He's saying, but when you're questioning whether it's right or wrong, there are legitimate things that can tell you it's wrong. And there wasn't one legitimate thing. And so we went. My perspective was it was a nowhere place. It was the pit of the earth. But I wanted God's perspective. Even though I couldn't see the forest, and only see the trees. If you know, I had to tell you this morning. If someone is to write my biography, and of course nobody would, but if they were, Sam, that church in South San Francisco, and the ten years that that Shelley and I lived there, and I pastored that church, those years would be a significant and prominent turning point in the course of my life. I mean, people sometimes stopped in there and said, what are you doing here? And yet, I thought that was the greatest place on earth. 
I came to love that work and feel. I got offers to go other where, other places, and I turned them down. I was so energized and excited about what God was doing in that little church, in those among those people, and we were growing and excited, and God was there and doing some incredible things. And I feel the same way, by the way, about what God is doing right here at Grace. That. Ten years God used in my life turned me into the husband, the father, the pastor, and the person I am today. It was not just boot camp for the second half of my life. That is, if you were to live to 60, because I was only 30. But it was the school. I really believe this. I am so certain about this. It is a school of specialist training for Grace Community Church when I didn't even know there was a Visalia What God did along the way, coupled with hindsight, enabled me to gauge the importance of God's leading in my life. We always can see how important it was. There have been times in my life where I was so shook, I could hardly trust the, the Lord, and I would just run off and do my own thing and complicate it and make it worse. Can you relate at all? And then afterwards, I would see how God untangled even the mess that I made and the wreckage that I added to it by sticking my nose in it and not trusting Him. And I would say, Lord, why can I not trust You in the midst of it or going into it? Why do I always have to kind of learn from the school of hard knocks? Well, we want to move from the school of hard knocks to the place where we're trusting God as we're going. You know, instead of just being dominated by our perspective, we want to be open to his perspective. It's, it's kind of like flying by instruments sometimes. We always want to fly by sight, and God wants us to use the instruments of what he's revealed about himself and in his word. Now, I share that because I, I hope that is a setup for this passage. Because I... What Lydda and Joppa are no really almost nowhere places. And Aeneas and Tab, I mean, why are they on the pages of Scripture? Peter didn't even, you know, I mean, he was not, this was not on his itinerary. And I think you just have to have some sense of that. It's, it's kind of like, why chapter 9, verses 32 through 43? And I want to try and answer that as I think Luke gives us some clues. But let me give you, let's just think about this from Luke's perspective. And you have to understand, the book of Acts is a work of history. Luke is in the, the genre, if you will, the kind of writing of the Greek historians. And he gives us his purpose statement in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, and I think Lucas just following this out, because it's huge. I mean, there's no linkage to the life and ministry of Jesus if he doesn't say to his disciples, when the wait and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And you will become my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, or to the ends of, or the farthermost place of the earth. If there isn't that truth about the Holy Spirit being poured out, there's no church. 
And there is no continuation of the Gospel. So that becomes programmatic for the book of Acts. And we've seen it. First in Jerusalem, then Judea, the surrounding of Jerusalem. That Jerusalem is a city. Judea is the territory in which it's situated unto Samaria, and then up to Galilee and beyond. So we have to keep that in mind. And look at what he says in verse 9. The region, Judea, Samaria, Galilee. We've marched beyond Jerusalem. Another thing that is important that Luke is doing, he reintroduces Peter here. We come back to Peter, and Peter is significant in chapter 10. I mean, Peter is significant as an apostle. Don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about you know, the trajectory of what Luke's doing. Because a historian is selective. Of all the things that he has to write about, he is trying to tell the story of the church carrying on and expanding the ministry of Jesus. That's implicit in 1.8 of chapter 1. Verse 8 of chapter 1. So Peter is reintroduced, and this gets him to Joppa. That's where he's at, at the end of chapter 9, in verse 43. Peter spends many days in Joppa at the house of Simon the Tanner, of all places. And that's where we find Simon when Cornelius in chapter 10, who is a Gentile, Simon has a vision in chapter 10 which is so significant. Because a good Jew lives by strict dietary laws. That's how you establish in part your separateness unto God. It's a very vital part of proving. If we were to talk about this in our own terms, we'd say, this is how you prove you're a good Christian. I mean, really, let's be honest. Sometimes we think, well, that person isn't a very good Christian. Why? Well, we have these things that we expect them to do. Well, the things that we expect a Jew to do are laid out in his word very strictly. And so Peter has this vision in which God says, a voice in this vision says, eat. There's nothing that's unclean. And then Cornelius, who is a Gentile, comes to the gospel and receives the Holy Spirit. These are dramatic events for the church in Jerusalem of which Peter is a representative. So Peter's reintroduced. The second point of Luke's perspective is that the miracles, why are these miracles here? Because they advance the gospel. Each miracle, we're told, in verse 35 and 42, brings people to Jesus Christ. And then there's a third reason. And I, Brian's already quoted N.T. Wright. <laughs> but this is what he has to say right at this point, and I thought it was worth reading for you. If all we knew about Peter was that he had healed the disabled Aeneas and had raised Dorcas from the dead, that would be enough to know that the power of God was working through him. 
And perhaps these apparently small stories were told here by Luke to remind anyone who might be disposed to think otherwise that Peter was where he was on proper business from the Lord. Peter's reintroduced. And where he goes, the Lord is at work. Well, but what's this mean from our perspective? Because I'll tell you, Peter, this is the way I look at it. And I wasn't thinking, this is the way I look at it. I wasn't thinking about being clever this morning. When I look at this, I think, Peter is a spiritual superstar. An apostolic powerhouse with miracle working power to heal and raise the dead power and miracle working that I do not know. I find it hard to relate. I really do. When I was an intern, I had a couple of responsibilities for a number of years. I, go, I went to visit people in the hospitals, and I'd go to visit them at their homes. That was good training for me. I really do like people. I was very, very shy. I'm the kind of person, it's amazing that I stand up here. I took my first speech class, in my, and my speech instructor, who was an Elizabethan actor, I, I, I almost got sick to my stomach at that first speech. That's how scared I was. I am a timid, behind-the-scenes kind of person. I like to... You know, but I'm here. Do you know why? Because I know that's where God wants me. That's where He's been leading me, so I'm following. But at any rate, that was good training because I'm I, 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 I'm a people person. I love people. And that was good to spend time with people. But there were a couple of cases in particular. One, uh, Steve, he had meningitis. And I went to visit Steve, and he couldn't talk to me. He was all shriveled up of the meningitis. And uh, I can still remember that so clearly. And he's indicative. I mean, he's just exemplary of the kinds of things you feel when you go out in the name of Jesus, you know? And I, there was no one there in the room. And there on, on a counter were pictures of his family with him just full of life and his beautiful children. And I took his shriveled hand and I prayed so hard for him. I said, Lord, heal Steve. Nothing happened that I know of. I also used to work with deacons fund cases. We had a lot of people who would come in off the street. There was one lady who came in that I had seen around town. She was very lean. She looked she, she looked almost like Native American. She was very dark and very, had beautiful features. She had to be in her 50s, I think, but she looked very worn by the weather and life. And she would, she'd just walk along. She'd march along and whatever, she'd be carrying stuff, and she would talk to herself. And I got to know Diane, and I started reaching out to her through this one first experience on the Deacon's Fund. Then I would see her around town. I tried to help her. I got in touch with different agencies. I, I, 
I tried to pull her out of her situation. I prayed so hard. One time she showed me in her little wallet a picture of her when she was this beautiful girl holding the reins of her horse. And that just broke my heart. Who are these two people? This person that's just so full of her wits and life and a future and potential. And now she's this woman who's so ingrown that she, she hardly makes contact with the outside world. Nobody can quite get through to her. She, these things frustrate me. I want to change the world. And I have prayed, Lord, if you would just give me a little power so that when there are these really deserving cases in your name, Tabitha, wake up. Steve, extend your hands. May the blood and the color rush back into your body. You rise from this bed and return to your family who's waiting for you. Diane, become a competent, constructive, contributing person to society and pour yourself out to others. You know what this passage makes me feel? It makes me feel inferior. Sometimes I think, if, maybe if I had enough faith. And I'll bet it makes you feel that way too if you were to think deeply about it. What has this got to do with me? I thought I would be finished by now. I want to tell you what I think it has to do with, with you and me. Let's look at 9.31 and 32 again. In verse 31, I want to point out very quickly just about five things. You need to circle in your mind the words, the church. You would expect the churches, but it's the church in all of these three areas. There's one church that's, that's significant, and that's unusual in the New Testament. The second thing, the words throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. This is a clear echo, as I said, of verse 8 of chapter 1. A third thing you need to notice is the word peace, which last week I made a lot of, and I should have. Luke is clearly contrasting what is settled over the church in this whole area because of what? Paul has seen the risen, glorified Lord. He has converted to Jesus Christ. He's now a follower of Jesus Christ, which was illustrated. And then we come to the fourth thing, and... There are two things, and you notice I said fourth thing because it's a two-fold point. Peace produces two things. Two things come out of this peace. One, the church is built up. Do you see that? Or edified. In other words, they start to flourish in the Lord. If somebody edifies you or encourages you or builds you up or strengthens you, that's the idea. The church is built up because of what? No more persecution. No more fear. No more terror. And now the church starts to flourish. And the second, or the second component is this. 
Some translate it living. Some translate it traveling. Some translate it going. Some translate it walking. The church was was going or walking or living in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement or comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now I notice the NIV really jumbles it up. But I've really laid it out as the Greek structurally lays it out. Those two things being built up and living. Do you know what it literally is? It's going. Going or coming. It's, a, it's a, such a basic word. It's just like our going and coming. <laughs> you know? Who wants to even look up the word going and coming? That's the same Greek, that's the, the meaning of the Greek word. It's like everybody knows what that means. Going or coming, you can translate it either way. Going or coming in the fear of the Lord and, and some render it comfort or encouragement. Why? Because this is that word that is the same word as the Holy Spirit who is the paraclete. Remember when we looked at the Gospel of John chapters 14, 15, and 16 and the many uses of of, uh, Jesus to talk about the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. This is the same word. There are basically kind of three big ideas. Counsel, encouragement, help. So you could use the word guidance. The Holy Spirit is all of that to us. The Holy Spirit is Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit is the advocate who's poured out. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you bereft. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so big in our lives in Christ. So this is important. In the fear of the Lord and the comfort or the, the encouragement or the help, that full blood or the guidance, the aid of the Holy Spirit. Now, Fear of the Lord is an Old Testament expression. I told you last week, I'm confident that Luke used this because he wanted to contrast the fear that had fallen upon the church. And now that Paul has been converted, they are really trusting in the Lord where they ought to be. What Luke is describing is the restoration of the default Christian life. This is the way we all ought to be living. And fear of the Lord, Lord has been used... Nine times now of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. In fact, in verse 17 it was used. Jesus is Lord. This is trust, faith, believing in Jesus. The church is now fully, again, really trusting in Jesus and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the basic idea. Now, what's the connection between verse 31 and 32? Because in Greek it's very clear. Sorry to refer to the Greek so much, but here it really becomes paramount. Verse 31 actually signals the reader that verse 32 has something more to say about what's in verse 30. You anticipate it. And I'm, I want to share what that is. In verse 31, we're told uh, that the church multiplied. Do you see that? The church multiplied. And... In verse 32, we're told Peter's traveling throughout where? All the areas that the church has expanded and spread and that were affected by the persecution of of Paul. And this points to the practice 
of Peter, just as in chapter 8, when Peter was sent with John out of Jerusalem to see what was happening as the church was growing and numbers were being added. They are multiplying because of this peace and the fact that they're really trusting the Lord and walking in His Spirit, and people are being added. That's what it's saying. And so Peter is now traveling through this very region, and he is following up, just as he did in chapter 8, when Philip went to Samaria, and he's checking in on all the new believers. That's what Peter's doing. And it takes him to Lydda, and that's where we pick up the the story. Also, in verse 31, Luke told us that peace restored those two things, and it says that Peter traveled, and Peter, this is very important, Peter is clearly seen as a specific example of going in the fear of the Lord and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, oh, I didn't even put the points up. Let me put them up there. Jesus people bring an extra to the ordinary. With Jesus, the place is never ordinary. The person is never ordinary. The present is always extraordinary. Here's what I see happening. With my illustration of going to South San Francisco, I would never have gone if Jesus were not in my life. Jesus is that extra. You add Jesus to your life and it changes the way you see the world. Ordinary things become extraordinary. That's my point. And that's what happens. That's why we have verses 32 through 43. These wouldn't even be on the pages of the New Testament if Peter had not gone in the very same thing that you and I are called to do, is to walk in faith, to walk with Jesus each and every day, to look at the world differently because of the perspective, the eternal perspective that we have, the the truth that Jesus cares about us. He wants to do incredible things in your life. When he was given first place, The church multiplied. It was strengthened. It was built up. It grew. That's what it was saying in 31. And Peter's going out to see what's happening in the church. And God works through him and is working in the church because of that. There is no longer an an ordinary place. Every place is extraordinary. And I'm using that somewhat figuratively. We look at the world, every place differently. Every person is no longer ordinary. If you look at it through the world's eyes, there are lots of people who don't matter or count. But if you look at them through the eyes of the Lord, and you must because the Lord has looked at you the same way. He's looked at me the same way. He cares about you. He treasures you. He loves you. He has a purpose for your life. Peter wouldn't have gone to Lydda. He wouldn't have gone to Joppa. He wouldn't have cared about an Aeneas or a Tabitha. And there are some really touching things here about Peter too. You really see the quality of this man's heart. I don't work miracles. And Peter doesn't either. 
He goes in the fear of the Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit and God does incredible things through him. And it's that level of expectancy. I'm not disappointed if God doesn't work miracles through me. But you know what? I happen to know that God does work miracles through me. But not to my knowledge in the strictest sense of miracle working. And he works miracles through you too. This last point with Jesus the present is always extraordinary. I just, I got to tell you, two weeks ago or thereabouts, anyway, I saw my oncologist Friday. And uh, I, about two weeks ago, I got, I'm sorry, it wasn't two weeks ago, it was Monday. Two weeks ago, I had surgery. Monday, I got the definitive, the final biopic. No, that's not it. And my, my, my mind's kind of racing at the moment. Uh, I got the definitive diagnosis. That was it. And um, I have a kind of cancer. It's called, I wrote it out, but I'm going to remember it. Um, it's, it's, it's called nodular lymph, lymphocyte predominant Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I don't want you to, I know some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I sent him a birthday card. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I don't want you to worry. I'm really going to be fine. Uh, I saw the oncologist Friday and he said, he said, you've probably had this thing for two years. It moves at the, at the speed of a, a turtle at the Indy 500. I mean... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die of probably 50 other things before I die of this, I think. So I, I wanted to get that out there and let you know that you don't have to worry about me. It's business as usual. But it has given me... I, I've always tried to live in the moment. Because that's where you walk with the Lord. If you're not living in the moment, you can't walk with the Lord. You've heard me say this before. I want to remind you. I think that's why Peter does the things he does and God does the things he does through Peter. But you know, something like this just reminds you, it kind of pushes you to do, in my case, what I'm trying to do. Don't wait for something like this. That's the emphasis. Every moment is special in the eyes of the Lord because he wants to do incredible things through you. And then you'll look back and you'll see, wow, God has worked miracles in my life. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. Maybe this morning you want to come and pray with me or one of the elders or pastoral staff about, about your life, about someone you care about, about you know what maybe something that you're wrestling with before the Lord, a decision you have to make. Whatever you want to pray about, we invite you to come. Maybe this morning you'd like to give your life in a, in a kind of a definitive date-marking moment and say, I want to I live completely for you. Whatever the de- thing that you would like to bring before the Lord, if you want to bring it to us in prayer, we invite you to come. Let me pray for us. You come a- after the amen as God might lead you. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that everything is precious. You're the extra to the ordinary in life. 
Help us to expect the extraordinary because of you. In Jesus' name, we praise and thank you. And all of God's people said, This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.